Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Philip Sitter from the King's Group coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's a beverage consultant who is responsible for the cocktail programs at a number of successful Houston bars and restaurants. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you? Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. Restaurants all over Texas have reopened for dine-in service at 25% of their normal capacity. Poor Governor Greg Abbott. I compiled a pretty lengthy list of restaurants, and that article is the most read article that I have written in 2020. So I would say that there is quite a bit of excitement from people about the possibility of going to sit in a restaurant again. But let me let me throw it to you, Linda. What do you think about restaurants reopening? Do you you feel like it's time? Do you feel like it's too soon? Have you been to a restaurant to dine in? Like where are you at? I mean, um, it's it's a it's a really polarizing uh, topic right now. Uh, there's a lot of people. Um, there's a, there's on both sides are very, very, you know, very, very divisive. Like I've, I've talked to certain people. They're like, that's crazy. You know, what if someone else gets someone else sick, you know, I got a DM on Instagram from someone I actually know in person that mm-hmm. said restaurants equal death. It's like, look, buddy, if you feel that way, like don't go out to eat, but th- we can't, we can't have a rational conversation about this if, if that's how you feel like, which just that's not the basis for, for a conversation. I mean, but, I think, I think for myself, I think I, I don't feel comfortable. I do not feel comfortable eating inside of a restaurant, but I'm okay with sitting in a corner, a corner table, you know, on the patio somewhere with, you know, I went, I'm not going to say where, but I've walked through a restaurant with a mask on and I waited until I got to my table and then I sat at back at the back table on a patio and had food and then walked out and and like didn't touch anything got home washed everything you know hand sanitized everything I mean it's just it's um it's tricky and you know not everyone has not everyone understands you know like what that really what that also really means is being safe you know I've seen a couple of different people, you know, um, have door, a door guy counting people in and throw away menus and so on and so forth. So it's definitely, it's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of like weird stuff you have to, you have to consider, you know, but I mean, I've also heard people that are being naughty and not taking that 25% and distancing thing, things out. So, you know. Well, okay. Well, you may not be ready to name names, but, but I will name a few. Because I, I am with you in the sense that I don't feel comfortable sitting inside yet. 
but I did eat on two different patios this weekend. I went to Candente Friday night, and I went to Weights and Measures for brunch on Sunday. And in both instances, the tables were nice and far apart at, at Weights and Measures. We were the only table on the patio, which was completely fine with me, probably not great for them. Yeah. And then, you know, servers wearing masks and gloves, uh, paper disposable menus, no common condiments, salt shakers, anything like that. All that stuff is, you know, even like I got a pizza at Weights and Measures and the cheese and the red pepper flake came out in the little to-go plastic containers, right? Single use, all that kind of stuff. So that, that all makes sense to me. Yeah, you know, you know those, are, those are the things you have to do to feel comfortable. Yeah, now, you know, but 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 then but then we have to also consider, you know, there is there's also a set of people, and again, I'm not going to say who, but I have a few few people that I'm I'm that you know that I know that are like I feel unsafe going to work, but I don't have any other choice but to come to work. You know, yeah, like, is everyone yeah. ready to go back to work? I, I mean, it is a question worth asking. Yeah. You know, so. the the provisions, you know, I, I'm not an employment attorney. I don't pretend to be an employment attorney. Based on what I have read, if a restaurant says, we have a job for you, you have to come back. And you say, I'm scared. That is not a sufficient reason not to come back legally. Like yeah. emotionally, intellectually, it might be. But you can lose your unemployment for that. So, and who's to say like, you know, like the terms of, of how you got to work or how you got sick, you know, like, you know, that's just, I mean, it's a big old, it's a big old basket of crazy. Oh yeah. No, there's a whole liability issue, right? If you, if you go back to work and you get sick, do you have a claim against your employer? I mean, they have permission from the government to operate. Yeah. If, if the restaurant is operating within the government's parameters, does that shield them from liability in mm-hmm. in some sense? I mean, I I I don't know the answers to any of those questions. Uh, it's actually one of the things I'm looking forward to talking to Levi Good about because he is paying for all of his employees to get a test for coronavirus, and he's not allowing them to come back to work until they have been tested and have tested negative. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah. Uh, so you yeah. get the peace of mind, at least, that you're not sick when you start, and then they can kind of monitor it. And then, you know, the whole other piece is, well, what happens if a staff, someone on the staff gets sick? You know, do you shut the restaurant down? How does that work? I mean, the good news for diners is that it's not really passed through food. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons that I think servers and staff members wearing masks is so important because the masks limit the potential for infection. And so a server who's working because people can be asymptomatic mm-hmm. and still infected, right? The mask is kind of the, the protection against that. And hopefully, you know, there's such limited interaction. You're not, you're not sitting in a, you know, again, that's, that's why open air, that's why masks are so important. That's that's all of these things for me personally. Yeah. No, I mean, but again, you know, we're we're also, you know, 
we're, we're not talking about the science of things. We're talking about our, our beloved restaurants and bars, you know, and people do need to work. And, you know, I like, I do like seeing that, you know, I mean, I, and I have friends of mine that are like, Hey, you know, I'm glad to be at work. I can't be at home anymore. You know, not necessarily. I can't be at home. It's just like, it's nice that my boss called me. Yeah. I, I have had those friends of mine that are like, Hey, you know, we're glad to come, come and work for a couple of hours and, you know, and that's fine. And people are doing shifts, people are doing different shifts. And, and then there's also people that are doing, you know, like that are still doing like really great takeout, you know, and I love those people too. You know, um, I picked up, uh, I went over to blood brothers this week and, uh, they had like a couple of tables, like, you know, taped off, but like all that stuff is really, I mean, all of their stuff is great for takeout. It's perfect takeout, you know? And then the gals over at Dandelion, um, I picked up a couple of things from them and everybody was safely distanced and they had a couple of tables outside on their little sidewalk. So, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of people that are doing it the right way and aren't completely, but I mean, watching some of these like monster bars, just, you know, just, woo, just packed full of people, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, right. You're, I haven't, I have not driven past any monster bars that are packed with people. Of course, places that, you know, earn are designated bars and that earn 51% of their revenue from alcohol sales are not permitted to reopen yet. Mm-hmm. So now whether they, they are or they're not, is not, you know, I'm not the fire marshal. I'm not a sheriff. I'm not a police officer. It's not my job to enforce that, but I will tell you that they are not supposed to be open. And of course the Harris County judge, Lena Hidalgo tweeted over the weekend that there's a website where people can go and report violators. Uh, but I will say, you know, Houston's a personal favorite of mine. It's on their website their servers are not wearing masks and they're that is a deal breaker for me like like kudos to houston's for being upfront about what they are and aren't doing but i'm not eating there (laughs) and and i but i do think that's kind of a personal choice that diners have to make if you walk into somewhere and it looks too crowded or you don't feel comfortable with what you can see in terms of the restaurants preparations if there's not a place for hand sanitizer right when you walk in the door if they're not using paper menus if the servers aren't wearing gloves or masks if you feel like a like turn around on your heel and walk out the door and go somewhere else because yeah it really is up to people to vote with their dollars and to say you know these these steps to protect my health the health of the people around me are more important than getting the exact thing that I'm craving, right? Yeah. Like you have to be, you have to be willing to vote with your feet and vote with your wallet. Well, yeah. I mean, and then there's also, you know, and like, as far as all, as far as like us having like options is, you know, there's some really great options that are not having to go out to eat. I mean, you know what, like, um, urban harvest did their fried chicken, um, their fried chicken pickup, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, from, from Tony's, they're doing another. They're doing a cooking class next week, which maybe a, a a somebody you might know might be dropping a little a little batch cocktail base in in those baskets next week. Me, duh. Uh, yeah, no, we got yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, um, you're not that subtle. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's there's options. And I know that I'll have what she's having has had some really cool um, series supporting their thing, you know. And um, I think that there's a, there's still a lot of really great options for a lot of different people to not have to figure that out. And I mean, it really is. It's I mean, this is a freaky time for our hospitality, you know. And so I think it's it's interesting to, to see all that. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm in and out of restaurants and bars and I'm gloving and, you know, not bars right now, but restaurants that have bars, you know, I'm gloving and masking and, you know, all that good stuff. There's, there's a lot to be had. Yeah. And so just to kind of put a pin in this, I picked out just some, some of the sort of prominent names of restaurants that are open for dine-in, uh, DeMarco and, uh, all of Marco Wiles restaurants. So Dolce Vita, and Vinoteca Pascal. Everything in River Oaks District is open. Uzo Bay, Lock Bar, Steak 48, Bizu, Toulouse, uh, Dory Metropolitan has reopened. Sandbrook's Management, which is 1751 CN Bar, Candente, and the Pit Room. I saw some folks sitting at Pondicherry over the weekend. And then there are lots of people that are still to go only. Yeah. And that's all of Chris Shepard's places, Hugo Ortega, both Hugo's and Backstreet. Riel, Nobis, Nancy Sussel's going to reopen in next week for to-go only. Uh, Justin Hughes places, both Theodore Rex and Squabble. Brennan's of Houston looked like it was going to reopen for dine-in and then backed off. They're still to-go only. So, you know, whatever people choose to do, right, whether they want to go out to a restaurant, good news, you have hundreds of choices all over the city. I have listed as many of them as I have been made aware of and then if you don't feel comfortable but you still want to support restaurants all of the places that are doing dine-in are also doing to go yeah or if you want to patronize places that are strictly to go there's plenty of those and i have a separate list of those on culture map for people who want that so you you have options i guess is is my is my point to the people yeah 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 no, absolutely. There's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really there, there's we have plenty we have plenty of uh, of hospitality fam to support. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Oh. And then topic number two. One of the aspects of coronavirus dining that looks like it might be here to stay is alcohol to go from restaurants. Governor Greg Abbott tweeted last week that he is in support of that, making that permanent. You know, this the legislature in in 2019 passed a law that beer, wine and alcohol could be delivered from restaurants. Greg Abbott granted a waiver that let people pick it up themselves rather than have it delivered. And so that's that's kind of where we we live right now. Now, the the thing that you can't do that would be really nice is premixed cocktails. Not that that stopped some restaurants from selling frozen drinks in sealed plastic jugs, although that is that is technically not within the rules. But I, uh, again, I don't work for TABC. It's not my job to enforce it. I'm just telling you what the rules are. Yeah. So let me let me put this to you. What do you what do you think of alcohol to go? And, and do you hope it sticks around? And, and uh, I mean, frankly, do you think like the, the specs of the world are going to when if this goes to the legislature next year in 2021? Do you, do you think that retail liquor stores are going to try to fight this tooth and nail? 
I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not, I don't think it's going to fly to Tisa now because um, I don't know if our listeners know how the, how it all works, but you still have to buy it through specs or you still have to buy it through goody goody. You still have to buy all those minis and all those littles, all of that stuff. You still have to buy it through a third, through a third tier. That's a good point. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not really, I don't think that that's a, a, a point of contention. I think if anything, like, I think it's a, it's a tricky rule. I don't know when they're going to start to enforce then the batched cocktail, the margarita thing. Um, I think that that's really interesting. Um, I wish that they would just crack that open up so that we couldn't just make batched cocktails. Cause I would really love that. I would really love to be able to get a, a daiquiri or a, you know, or whatever, whatever it is, you know, right. Um, An old fashioned, uh, whatever. Yeah. Batch, you know, Aperol spritz, you know, from one of my favorites, you know, or, you know, any of that stuff. So, I mean, well, you know, I, I'd like to, see, I would love to see us to be able to give more, get more options other than, you know, little baby minis. I mean, I, I remember I just like about a week ago, we were talking, I was talking to someone and the way that people feel about a little mini is interesting. Like, it's just like having to pour your own little, little baby bottle and then, or just having it mixed in with proper ice and dilution really makes you feel a little bit differently about the cocktail altogether, you know? Um, Well, right. I mean, the odds are that a person making that drink at home is not going to prepare it as carefully as a bartender would. So it won't, it won't taste quite the same. It won't, they won't shake it long enough to dilute it properly. Right. Like that's, that's part of the concern. Yeah. Or the, or the ice or, you know, or, you know, and then, you know, how long, how long was that juice out? You know, it's just the nerd in me. That's of course, like, it's like, ah, like, you know, um, I'd really like to make this better for you, you know, so. Right. But. So so you're saying that what I did, which what I call a dorm room margarita, lemon, lime, Gatorade and tequila, like that, that's not really okay. I, you know what? You do you, boo-boo. I mean, like you do you, but come on, lemon and lime <laughs> Gatorade, get out of here. <laughs> Why would you even say that out loud? I, because <laughs> I just like to troll you. Look, you know what? There's no need in, the, in this time for, you don't have to tell us your, your dirty little secrets, all right? <laughs> Come on. Uh, I, I, did that, I did that just to horrify you. Oh, my gosh. You really, I almost fell on the ground. I can't with you. Look, if you need some cocktail mixes, just let me know. DM me. Don't do that. Well, I live right down the street from Hugo's. I could go buy their cocktail. I could go buy their margarita mix. I'm just, oh, I'm just lazy. Yeah, oh my goodness. Enough, enough. I can't with you right now. All right. Anyways. I, I mean, I agree with you, right? The, the, the provisions that allow this where it has to be in the original packaging, no larger than 375 milliliter, which is half the size of kind of a standard bottle of alcohol. So then you have, you have these restaurants trying to sell you know, bottles of liquor in a size that essentially nobody really wants. Yeah. And, and leaving it up to the consumer to like shake the thing properly. Now I, you know, wine and beer to go is, is, is great. And the cool thing about wine is that restaurants 
get access to stuff that you don't always see at retail, mm-hmm. right? So if you're a wine collector, you know, buying through a restaurant might get you access to stuff that you otherwise couldn't get or maybe older, right? Like, the, you know, Sean Beck was on the show a few weeks ago talking about how he's been kind of cleaning out their cellar of at Backstreet and Hugo's of some stuff that he's been holding on to. And, and so have a lot of, a lot of places. I mean, so, you know, you get access to this, this kind of rare stuff that's cool. And, you know, it's curated by someone who in theory knows your taste better than like some clerk at a, at a store, depending on, depending on the size of your store, right? Like if you go to Houston wine merchant, Antonio and the crew there, like they'll get to know you. They can, they can recommend things really well, but if you, you walk into a big box store, you know, you're kind of taking your chances. Oh yeah. And I mean, and I, you know, and like, of course, and then there's also like really great shops that are, are doing, doing that, that exact thing, you know, Avondale and Montrose cheese. Like, I, I mean, I love both those selections. Right. Um, Mike Salmon's again, he's got really, really good, really good pricing on his bottles, you know, yes. how um, to survive on land and sea. And- yeah. How to survive on land and sea. And then, uh, and then of course, but most beloved, of all of my wine shops is uh, 13 Celsius, of you know, and, it, and Adele's been there, you know, and knows, knows the gang and, you know, but that's, you know, I mean, we have a lot of really, really great options. And, um, I don't know if you know this, we are, we are some boozers. We, uh, I was talking to the guy, the gang over at Heights Grocer and they said they're, that they're rocking and rolling over there with some, some really cool stuff over there. He's like, he's like, we've got some people like, coming twice a week couple cases and i'm like you know get it boo boo (laughs) (laughs) you know um and i know that you know and i know that justin van um i don't know if we're talking a little bit about wine justin van at public services is going to be doing some cool like tasting things and uh follow up with him i mean i love that nerd so I know that they're going to, he's going to be releasing some of his stuff. Cause you know, he's always, he's always a really cool collector of, of, um, uh, awesome wine and spirits. So I know that he's going to be rolling out a, a cool little program. So we'll have to chat with him, um, or just, you know, keep up with him. Yes. All right. I'm going to put a pin in the news of the week and then we will be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to what's Eric eating. So, Linda, for our restaurants of the week, I want to know kind of where you've been eating. Uh, you mentioned that you were at Blood Brothers and Dandelion Cafe. Any other dine-in or to-go experiences that you've particularly enjoyed since the last time you were on the show? Um, you know, I've, I've, I'm still a big fan. I'm always going to be a really big fan of uh, Polly's and Burger Chan, always. But, uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you, uh, Pico's. Picos has done done a really good job over there, and I, I, we picked up a couple of things from them. And then I also picked up some stuff from Hava Cafe. And wow, old got, school. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, I I picked up some stuff from them, and because um, I'm kind of a veg, I I don't tell anyone I'm I'm a veggie. You know, I I eat a lot of vegetarian stuff, so I went and I picked up some stuff from them. But uh, yeah, I mean. I go back to my comfort food, you know, like my big salad and pasta from Polly's and my burgers. Um, I also had, did I tell you about Rudyard's? 
No. Uh, oh, no, you told me you had a Detroit. I think we talked about this last time. You yeah. had a Detroit-style pizza from Chef yeah. Anthony Calio. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, yeah, I got, I got, I got some stuff, some other stuff from them. But yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, I, I honestly like if somebody could send me some of their, their favorite to go outside of like the normal stuff that we hear about, like please DM me, Kaylinda HTX. That would be awesome and rad. <laughs> what, uh, what did you get at Pico's? Just uh, real quick. Um, I just got some enchilada suizas, which is one of my favorites. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, and I can't wait to go and sit down on that little patio for Guadalupana when they decide to, to open up for for, uh, for takeout. You know, with a little vampiro on the side. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, no, I've had, a, I've had some good takeout experiences. Like I said, I dined in at both Candente and Weights and Measures. That was, that was a lot of fun and actually felt a lot more normal to me than I kind of expected it to, and I will... I will keep dining on patios at least while the weather is nice. But I did uh, I did get takeout pizza from Love Buzz, the New York style Montrose late night spot. They do you know I, I built my own pie. They make their own meatballs that are really good. So I got a a meatball pizza with onions, very delicious. And then I picked up uh, some sushi and some izakaya skewers from Shun. Over the weekend, and, and that is a restaurant that I had not been to in probably a year or more, and it was quite tasty. That you know they seasoned the nigiri really well, and uh, I got a little poke bowl with some some salmon and avocado and, and other stuff in it, and then they partnered with uh, with a skewer restaurant called Gunso that's out in West Houston, uh, just for like a little weekend pop up. So I got you know chicken thigh and beef and a couple other things. So. Yeah, very, very tasty. It should. Oh, um, I got to taste some of the food from Phoenix on Westheimer. Um, oh, okay. Yes. So they're part of a program called Houston Shift Meals, and they had sent us some extra stuff. And they actually, they've got really, really good, like, portions and really fresh ingredients. Uh, I really, really liked the stuff that they had. And then also... Uh, Ninja Ramen decided to drop off some uh, some fry some pineapple fried rice, which normally I'm like anti pineapple in my my food unless it's it's in a pina colada, but that was really good too. So yeah, but uh, nin- sadly Ninja Ramen not open to the public right now. Ah, dang it! So I know, well, right? They'll, they'll you know we'll uh we'll, we'll hopefully we'll see them soon, but uh, yeah, Phoenix has been doing some stuff, and I think they're doing crawfish. And then Revelry opened up this weekend, and um, we picked up some crawfish as well from them. And how were your crawfish? Uh, very good. And I also had some cheeseburger spring rolls. Ooh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you know they've got a they've got a new menu that Jason Hill, better known as Big Sexy, designed for them. I don't I don't quite know if they're running Jason's menu or not. They were rolling it out right when all this happened. And so I don't know, I don't know if those cheeseburger egg rolls are Jason's menu or the old menu. I don't know, but they were delicious. Noted. All right, Linda, that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks so much. Talk to you guys soon. All right, I'll be right back. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Philip Sitter. He is the president of the King's Group, that is the restaurant group behind King's Beer Garden, King's Beer House, 
Egg House, probably a couple other things he's got in the works. He is also the founder of VIP Insiders, a loyalty rewards program for restaurants. Philip, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. How's it going? You know, I'm hanging in there, all things considered, all things, uh, I, you know, as I tell people, I have I have my job, my health, and a place to live. So uh, at this at this point in the world, like, that feels pretty good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So let's let's kind of catch up on the state of all things Kings. Have you reopened yet for dine-in service? So Kings Beer House in League City and Heights is open. Egg House is open and Kings in Pearland is being remodeled. So maybe talk me through kind of what you did at Kings Beer House and Egg House mm-hmm. when restaurants were required to be closed and then kind of how you came to the decision to reopen. Sure. So, you know, uh, we were fortunate enough that we were able to keep all of our management on salary and full benefits. Uh, We kept some key kitchen personnel and we had one-on-one conversations with our servers and bartenders amongst all brands. Egg House performed really well during this. You know, their sales were only down about 10, 15%. So Egg House really did fantastic during this time comparatively to our full service restaurants which were down 80 85 percent right so egg house we maintained we did well uh we just launched our barbecue collaboration with truth barbecue which i'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit um but king's you know um the to-go model we the of course day one everyone including us was like okay well we're gonna do delivery right (laughs) and and then we quickly realized, you know, delivery is probably a little bit more complex than we're making it seem. So, of course, we had third party. We had pickup. We did some interesting things like pre-ordering specials, um, all sorts of stuff like that. But the way we decided to open back up at the 25% occupancy is, first of all, all of our restaurants seat between 300 and 400 people. So 25% occupancy is pretty substantial for us. It's between 80 and 100 guests. Uh, all of our restaurants are large and so you know in the king's realm so what we're able to do is we're able to make sure all the tables are minimum six feet apart of course all of our servers bartenders managers have gloves and masks and they change out gloves per you know every time they switch diners uh, we have a lot of precautions as far as sanitizer stations disposable menu disposable cutlery um and we really had our customers as part of the conversation. And that goes back into VIP Insiders, which is a separate company, and sending out that survey to understanding our diners. So one thing that we did really well was we engaged with our customers first and asked them their and asked them what they want to see from us. After we realized that diners were interested to come out, that we would have all the precautions in place to go above and beyond. Then we, only then we decided, okay, we can reopen, and so that that's what we did. That was just this last weekend. So let's let's talk a little bit about VIP Insiders. I mean, obviously you have you have a pretty extensive loyalty program at Kings. You have for a while now. When did you develop that into a separate company that mm-hmm. also works with other restaurants? So a lot of times we build things out of the need of our own restaurant group and. When we were looking at VIP Insiders back at the Stein Club days, uh, we had a we had a club 
where you could buy a membership to. And it was very hard to keep track of people, right? It was a Stein club. So they would get a Stein and a shirt and a card and a dollar off their beer. And we cleared in, you know, almost a decade, two, 3,000 members. And the issue with that was always, you know, if someone lost their card or pulling up the Excel spreadsheet and so forth and so on. And, and we always found the, the most valuable tool for marketing for our restaurant was one-on-one dialogue where customers felt as though they were talking to more than just a brand, but they had kind of a humanization of the business. And we found like a kind of our own version of a loyalty program, which was Stein Club at that time, uh, was really beneficial for us. And so I was just thinking, how do we make it a little bit more modern or high tech and just easier to keep up with? And we created, uh, which ended up becoming the company of VIP Insiders, just a mobile loyalty and rewards program that people could sign up for. Uh, we would be able to text them directly. We were able to use a lot of, a lot of functionality, uh, functionality that social media had. Like, you know, I was tired on, on Facebook and Instagram when I posted something to be competing with everybody in the world plus ads. My customers weren't seeing my messaging anymore. I was spending – we spent half a million dollars in three years on just our social media budget between all of our openings and our constant uh, promoting for, you know, the events like Oktoberfest. And I was just thinking there's got to be a better way because social media is becoming like email 2.0. Hardly anyone sees what you're doing anymore. And so that's when we decided to create VIP Insiders. We created our own mobile technology. We used it for our restaurant. It worked. And now we have a little over 80 restaurants using it across the nation, Florida, Texas, uh, Pennsylvania. And we really launched last September is when we launched. And uh, we really started rolling right before the coronavirus and we've done, you know, we've helped our customers, our, our clients on VIP kind of navigate through this time by being able to really take their offers and show their customers what they're working on. So what, what features does VIP insiders give operators that say, cause like, I know for example, that like all of these reservation platforms, open table, Yelp, Resi, whatever gives, you know, allows for like guest notes and, and right. some sort of tracking of, you know, the last time people dined at a place and, and that kind of thing. So, so what are you giving people with VIP insiders that, that didn't exist in the market before? So what we're doing really is we're looking at independent operators between one and 20 units that want to add a level of loyalty rewards and text message marketing to their marketing campaigns, very on par with like a Starbucks rewards, right? And the uniqueness of what we're able to do is we're able to charge a very small subscription fee to build for independent restaurants a complete loyalty rewards platform that competes with the Starbucks rewards. And if you look at the data of Starbucks rewards, their results have been phenomenal. They're right around 20 million users. Their revenue went up 15% year one just by adding loyalty and rewards. And we just thought, okay, well, the biggest brands in the world can use stuff like this, you know, Hilton, Airlines, uh, Starbucks, but why can't independent operators do this? And so on my journey, I mean, I can tell you why, because it's incredibly expensive. You know, this company to develop a proper tech company the way we have. I mean, I could have opened up a whole new restaurant, you know, maybe two restaurants to develop it the way that it is. And so any independent operator can't just go out and build their own technology for this. And the only way for us to be able to afford it was to license it to other people so they could use it as well. So you get the loyalty rewards aspect, which is every every visit they're earning something. So every fourth visit a uh, restaurant guest will earn something to their favorite restaurant. You know, uh, 
we're not a marketplace technology, so it's not like you download the VIP Insiders app and you look at all the restaurants. We custom build this entire platform per restaurant. Um, whether they have one concept, multiple concepts, multiple locations, it doesn't matter. And the guests, every fourth visit, actually earn a menu item. So gone are the days where points matter. You know, you come in, you get 10 points. Those 10 points are worth five cents a piece. It doesn't make any sense. You know, the days now for us are every fourth visit, you earn an appetizer or you earn a dessert. Or in our case, we're TABC approved where you can actually earn a free beer, free cocktail. We're the first technology company to get that sort of approval in Texas. And that was huge for us. And so, right. I have, I have to say that that's very appealing to me because, you know, there's nothing sort of like less interesting than, oh, if you spend $200, you get a $5 appetizer. It's like, yeah, those days are gone. And, and, yeah. and, and we're proud to be part of that, you know, sort of revolution because customers, especially now, uh, you know, restaurateurs are thinking about it. Customers are our bloodline. And you can see during a time like this, when the customers are gone, well, what are we? Sometimes we forget that the customers are the ones that are keeping us in business or the ones that are paying our bills. They're the ones that give us the opportunity to expand. And customers should be treated with a high level of respect and a high level of value and loyalty rewards where they earn something, especially an alcoholic beverage, just for signing up is the key to that. And more than that, it's direct communication with your customer where you can actually text them your offer. Or we're, we're doing limited time offers, we're pre-ordering prime ribs, we're doing all sorts of stuff with VIP, which gives you the ability to be in someone's phone, 98% open rate. And if you look at the survey VIP Insiders published, people now prefer text messaging over social media. And you can see celebrities really using text messaging now. You know, Even Arnold Schwarzenegger is giving out his quote unquote phone number so you can text him. So the texting revolution's beginning and with hospitality especially. You know, I, I saw that in the survey and I, I do want to talk about some of those results. I I am not that person. I, yeah. I do not text me. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I know this sounds silly, but I just maybe because I am engaged on social media. Oh, so yeah. if I want to know what you're up to, like I will seek you out on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. But texting is like texting implies a level of urgency. Yeah. And I don't like being marketed to through it. And I, and I certainly, you know, unsolicited, like maybe, maybe if it's a brand that I'm really invested in, but like, you know, there's like unsolicited political ads. Of course. Those, those are the worst. Those are the absolute worst. And just like you said, I know some of your favorite restaurants and some of your favorite bars. Well, it's your choice to join their, you know, their platform. And then, you know, if, if Kaiser sent you, you know, one of his uh, entrees, because he hasn't seen you in 30 days and you, and that happens automatically without that with Kaiser even thinking about it, you know, then you would be like, Oh man, this, this is awesome. Let me go over there. And that's what, that's what we're doing, right? We have our Einstein retention technology that when you come, say you come to Kings, you join for a free beer and 30, 60 or 90 days. If we haven't seen you an automatic text message will be sent out to you with one of the items on our menu, uh, one that you like, and it'll actually send that to you with an expiration. And that, that just helps restaurateurs, right? It's like with Kings is a great example. A lot of people come for us for Oktoberfest. They come for big celebrations. But I wouldn't say that the average diner comes to King every two, Kings to every two weeks, right? They come maybe once every three months. With us, it gives us the opportunity that we, when we don't see you in 30 days, it'll send you a free beer pretzel or free beer depending on what your preferences are. And that will get you thinking about Kings again. So it's about helping independent operators really shine and market like Fortune 500 companies. All right. So you, you put this survey in the field about 
restaurants reopening after the coronavirus shutdown. What did you What did you learn? I mean, how many, you know, I, I got your I got your email. You know, you you received responses from eighty five hundred people, which yep. sounds like a lot to me. So this seems like a pretty. Were, were they mostly in Houston? I mean, how where yeah. were the responses kind of coming from? So we're a little over ten thousand people that responded to it, and what we did is we surveyed three pools. One, we surveyed our current clients' customers, right? Uh, so all the clients that we have. Two, we ran independent. Facebook ads to people who enjoy restaurants that go to happy hour, that like brunches, things like that. So those were independent social media ads that, hey, we need your help. Restaurants need to hear from you. And then what we did is we posted on some foodie groups, Facebook foodie groups, which you know for sure are very active, right? So what we were trying to do nationally, uh, really where our customers' clients are, Florida, Pennsylvania, New York, Texas, California – uh, we really wanted to hear straight from the diner. And the way this came up, the survey, is because it was it was all for our restaurant at first. And I was thinking, I was like, my God, I don't want to open and people mad at me for opening. And I certainly don't want to be closed. And I had the ability to open where my staff can get to work and they can start making money. And then the questions came up, well, okay, well, do we wear masks and gloves? Do we do disposable menus? There were so many questions my management team was asking. I was like, you know what, this information – Restaurant owners really need to know. They need to understand and they need to have an idea. And the most important questions for me, in my opinion, as a restaurateur was, when is when are things going to return normal again? Right. One of the questions that we ask on the survey is, when do you feel as though your dining habits will return back to normal? And the majority of people said between 30 and 60 days. Well, that gives me a lot of hope. You know, that that makes me think, OK, with 60 days, I can manage. But if people were saying, because we asked, do you feel like your dining habits will change forever indefinitely? And, you know, like 5% of people said uh, that they would, you know, and 25% of people said that the end of the year that their dining habits will return to normal. But my God, you know, that, that just gave me a sense of hope that, OK, in 30 or 60 days, we'll start seeing some normalcy in 90 days will feel really good. Another question was, what price point would you like to see on our menu? Well, the majority of people said 15 to 25. And this wasn't our restaurant. This was for all restaurants, right? Understanding what your customer is going to be looking for, understanding the price point, understanding what they what they want to see for you know, security and safety and sanitation. I mean, I, I think personally, it's the it's the difference between success and failure during this this next uh, this next year. Yeah, no, I, I saw that that uh, that price point question on there. I, I felt very uh, concerned for fine dining because uh, it's it's uh, 28% said doesn't matter. And then only 2.6% said 25 to $40. So that's if you're a so hopefully that 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 quarter of the people who said doesn't matter are, are the kind of steakhouse high end customers because right. Because otherwise, that two point six percent—that that's pretty grim. It is. I thought that was pretty shocking because yeah, you know it does make sense when you think about the value customer. You look at the unemployment rate. Uh, you know, fine dining very well may go into um, pure celebrations, right? Before this, maybe we were going to fine dining when we wanted a great steak, or maybe uh, we just felt like, hey, it's Friday, let me take my wife out. That may change into, hey, it's my wife's birthday. Let's take her out then. And, the, you know, that could that could be challenging for sure. I think the other thing that kind of caught my attention is that 
you asked how many people want to continue to use curbside delivery even after restaurants reopen. Oh yeah, and it was a pretty clear majority. I mean, if I'm if I'm yeah, it was a between massive. extremely likely and very likely, you're at about sixty five percent. Yep, I I I thought that was really interesting as well uh, because honestly, again, I thought okay, once we reopen, you know, curbside, I, it'll be forgotten. But I was really wrong about that. You know, curbside now is here to stay. I think customers enjoyed it, um, and I think that are you know us as a customer. So we have to look at it in different ways. You have to look at me as the customer, me as the restaurant tour. Well, me as the customer, I've cooked at, you know, I've cooked at my home more now than I have in my whole lifetime. And to be frank, I've invested in barbecue equipment and all sorts of stuff that I kind of enjoy cooking at home now. Right. And so like, I do want to go out to restaurants, but I also do like cooking at home now before I didn't even know how to cook at home. Right. Like at the, at the rate that I know how now. And so there, one thing that's very interesting in our restaurants, and I'd be curious to see if it's the same for others, is our Friday sales are now higher than our Saturday. And Saturday was a way outperformer than Friday. Even during our opening, this reopening weekend, our Friday sales were almost double our Saturday sales. And I thought that was just really interesting because that's never happened before. It's been this way since to go for us and now since, since opening. And our sales are not high. You know, they're not substantial whatsoever, but it is interesting to see that Fridays are outperforming Saturdays. And I think that a lot of Saturdays are now like dedicated to cooking at home. I don't know. Yeah, it's a little hard to tell. I mean, colloquially, I, I hear from restaurateurs that Friday and Saturday are kind of the big days and it's the it's the weekday, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, where everything's a little bit slow. Yeah. And that, that people really are cooking at home more and they are saving money in that way. But I, I am a little bit surprised that, that Friday would be higher than Saturday. I would kind of expect them to both be kind of your two, your two big days. Yeah, they're definitely our two biggest. It was just interesting for us to see because we've never had Fridays outcompete Saturdays. And, and, you know, another question that was interesting was about the disposable items because we were thinking, my God, do we do disposable everything? <laughs> you know, like, and some people do want that. It looks like that 22% wanted disposable plasticware, plates, cups, menus, single-use condiments. You had 14% say they don't, they don't want disposable anything. The majority of people want disposable plasticware and menus. Well, of course, you're required to have disposable menus right now by the governor, so right. that's, that's mandatory. And then, and, and yeah, I do think there is that perception of you know, if it comes in plastic, it's sealed. It means somebody else hasn't touched it. I, you know, not that, not that people don't necessarily trust a dishwasher to do a good job of sanitizing things, but just, you know, the fewer contact points, the, the, the more we can sort of limit that, the, the more comfortable people feel. And, and I wasn't surprised to see that, that 62% said they want servers to wear masks and gloves. And then another 24% said masks, uh, which makes me wonder about a couple of restaurants that have reopened where they have, they're very public and that they're, they're not wearing masks. Uh, I know it's on Houston's website. I saw a story in the Chronicle that Steak 48 isn't doing that. And, and I do think that that's a, that may be a buying decision for people. It certainly is for me where I, I would not dine at a restaurant where they're not wearing masks. 62% of people agree with you on that. And it's interesting, right? I, I just dined at a restaurant yesterday and um, here in the Galleria area. And it was interesting to me 
is not even just as a restaurateur, but as a customer, I was sitting there and I was just so, so much more aware of cleanliness. I was so much more aware of how my glass, you know, had smudges in it. And I was just so much more aware of the bus boy and how he was touching things. And it really had nothing to do with me being a restaurateur. It was just like, you're almost trained now to be hyper alert. And with that, I think us, you know, that all that are involved in hospitality is we can't fight that. We absolutely have to embrace that because the most important thing for us now is to build customers trust back about safety and sanitation. So we can, you know, restaurants, as we all know, listening to this podcast is a very low margin game. Well, now we have to invest in gloves. Now we have to invest in face masks. Now we have to invest in disposable menus. Now we're sanitizing everything consistently, you know, it's going to be more expensive to run a restaurant now than ever before. And so understanding that we have to embrace that, it's going to be a bit challenging knowing that people want to pay less and they want all these higher standards. But it's something, again, we, we have no choice but to embrace that. And I think it's the right thing to do in that point. Right. I mean, did you – I didn't see this in the results, but did you ask people whether they felt ready to return for dine-in yet? No, we did not ask that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a few uh, Instagram influencers that have done their own surveys, and it looks like the vast majority, just based on you know following people with that, have said that they're not ready to dine at restaurants yet. You know, I, I've seen that too, but then the article that I wrote for Culture Map last week listing restaurants that reopen is the most popular article I've written all year. Yeah, so <laughs> I looked at that too. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of a funny, you know, it's I, I think that may speak more to the demographics of who follows some of those influencers, or maybe what people think that they should say in response to a survey. I mean, you know, I unless people are just clicking on it to figure out who to avoid, like who they're mad at. Um, I don't think that's the case, right? I, I used that exact. Uh, I used your exact article yesterday as a guide twice when I was in Pearland and when I was in the Galleria. Um, so yeah, I, I could totally see that. Um, I think, I think it's important. I think we're at the point now where it's important to give people the choice, you know, and I also think that as the 25 and 50% kick in, it actually kind of works out in our favor because if you look at it with that 25 and 50%, I don't know if the customer demand is there for it to, you know, it's not worth it to put it at a hundred percent yet when the demand may not even be there. So, you know, you may have one restaurant that's very small, that's completely packed, right? Well, that, you know, in, in that case, that could be, uh, you know, a safety problem and it just, it's just not really worth it yet. So I, I do like the 25, 50 and then eventually the hundred, I think that works, um, I'm not, I'm not too opposed to it. I know the margins. I know we're not making any money off it or anything like that. But for overall public safety, I do like uh, easing into it the way that we are. All right. So so how did your first weekend reopen for dining go? I mean, did you, did you fill that 25%? We did on Friday. And our procedure is once we do that, we'll text you. We'll text you. Uh, we'll text you when your table's ready. You know, they'll be in their car, and we'll text them. We only had to do that for maybe forty-five minutes on Saturday and Sunday. That wasn't the case. We were open longer hours on Saturday and Sunday. Was but all the days have been better than just to go for us. Much much better than just to go, which is great. But ultimately, Saturday uh, was 
maybe 75% of the volume that we had on Friday and Friday we were only open half of the day. So the, it was very nice psychologically. I'll tell you that our staff was in a fantastic mood. They were so excited to see customers again. Uh, the management was in a fantastic mood. People were in a fantastic mood. Uh, psychologically it was a really big impact for our staff and our guests really enjoyed themselves and it really felt good. I mean, my God, it felt like opening up a new restaurant, you know, we're shut down for six weeks now. It just felt good to see people again and, and feeling the hope that things will return back to normal. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by how normal it felt to sit on a patio and, you know, have food and drink a margarita and just, you know, this like, okay, you know, we're wearing, you know, we got our masks and, and, you know, the servers are wearing gloves and, and we're separated from people quite a bit, but, you know, sitting like sitting with my friends felt really good, and I was excited to be able to do that. Right. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about a couple other things real quick. You you mentioned that you're uh, remodeling the Pearland restaurant, and and I think that's interesting because I I think I did I did I not see that you briefly put it up for sale? No, we were looking at. So we came to a, an inflection point. We were looking to decide because we own the real estate all there in Pearland. We were looking, okay, we have three choices in Pearland because we're coming on a decade there. We're looking at either leasing it to a different concept. And we were talking to some chefs about putting a concept and partnering up with them there. We were looking to reconcept it ourselves, or we were looking to remodel it. And, you know, anytime a concept comes on almost a decade and we expanded and we started as a car wash and everything else, we were looking at, okay, well, our sales have declined there. You know, we have the Baybrook Mall location that really hurt pretty much all the restaurants in the Pearland Friendswood area. And we weren't at the time reinvesting in back into the business. We were investing into our expansion. So it almost felt like we kind of, I wouldn't say forgot, but it almost looked like we forgot about Pearland through our expansions and through all the other projects we're working on. And so at that point, a bit of the passion was lost, a bit of the, uh, a bit of the feel for the concept was lost. And we were just at a crossroads that we're like, okay, well, let's see if this generates any interest. Well, right as we were doing that, the coronavirus uh, happened, right? And and everything started shutting down. So during that time, you know, my dad and myself were able to reflect and say, okay, what do we do next, right? Like, what, what do we want to do, right? How reasonable is it to lease it to somebody during this time? Do we want to just close it? Do we want to reinvest and open it? And, you know, we ultimately decided that the best thing for us to do was to remodel it, to reconcept a bit the menu, but keep the same German-American sort of concept. We went from 18 taps to 36 taps. We've completely renovated the inside dining room. We really looked at the menu to make some more craveable items. Uh, we've, we're working. I think it'll take us all the way till the end of June, but re we really doubled down on it. And then one of the things that we're that, that we do is we're very vocal and honest with our customers. And we told them about the struggles of, of uh, losing your passion. And, you know, just like anybody in a career after doing the same thing over and over and over again, you start to lose a little bit of that, um, that, like I said, passion, that law of familiarity kicks in and you just kind of start going through the motions. And my dad really felt that way about himself. He's 67 and he was like, okay, well, do I retire? What do I do? And so, he, you know, he put a post on there and it's a great post to read if you want to look at our Facebook. Uh, maybe a lot of people reading it will relate to it. It was at King's Beer Garden on their Facebook. And he was honest about that and, he, you know, crafted a message. And, and then he said, you know, and I decided that the right thing for us to do was to reinvest into our community, reinvest into our restaurant and help, you know, and make this place special and so forth and so on. And it 
I mean, he, he must have gotten a little over 1500 personal emails and uh, responses. And on Facebook, I think it's 3000 likes and a ton of shares and comments and very, very supportive. Um, and that really, that really lit a fire under him where he decided to put even a bigger budget on renovating it. And so that was great. It was, it was really, we really looked, we really looked at that and we found a lot of optimism and a lot of uh, drive from that post. Yeah. So, so, uh, full, uh, so when do you expect those renovations to be complete? Uh, late June, early July. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully in time to be at, you know, close to a hundred percent capacity. Right. Right. And, um, we're working on an incredible new menu with it. And, uh, we're, you know, we'll, once that menu hits, we'll leave it in Pearland for a while. And then I think that that direction of the menu will hit the Heights and league city as well, especially some of those items. So I'm excited to see how that goes. And then you, you did mention your collaboration with blood brothers at egg house. So yes, uh, we can, we're, we're running short on time, but, uh, but yeah, how did that come together and, and what are you serving? So with Blood Brothers, each year we do a barbecue collaboration. Last year we did it with Killen's Barbecue. Uh, this year we're doing it with Blood, uh, with, uh, Blood Brothers at Egg House Gourmet. And what we do is three items. We're doing a brisket biscuit sandwich. We're doing a pulled pork grilled cheese. With, we've got Gouda, Harvati, and cheddar uh, with some pickles as well. And then we have our pulled pork kolache. And... Blood Brothers, as you know, is just phenomenal. Their pulled pork is incredible. Their brisket is incredible. I, I, their jalapeno sausage is also just phenomenal. But we decided to do the pulled pork kolache with them. And they're incredibly supportive of our brand. We love their brand. And we just launched that on Monday. It'll be here for the month of May only. And after May, it'll be gone. And we'll, we'll do something again next year. But it's a great collaboration to try something that's absolutely delicious between a breakfast lunch concept like egg house and a barbecue concept like blood brothers, which isn't even open on Monday or Tuesday. So. Right. I mean, it's, I, I mean, barbecue kolaches are just such a no brainer and, and the pulled pork will be, pulled pork will be great in that, uh, in that application. I, I look forward to trying it. Yeah, please do. You have our invitation. So you can order it from DoorDash. You can order it online or you can, egg house has about eight seats ready for dine-in. We do have an overflow with Beer House on the weekend. So if you're looking for a brunch spot to come with your friends, you can order Egg House and sit at the Beer House. They're closed, you know, till uh, four. You know, they're closed till four, and you can roll over there and use their uh, the extra seating. All right. So Philip, unless I, that kind of brings me to the end of my questions, unless you have something else you would like to discuss. No, that's it. I appreciate the conversation. All right. Well, give us the, the websites and everything for, for the King's Group and for VIP Insiders. If you're looking for King's Beer Garden and King's Beer House, Egg House, it's just the name.com, egghouse.com, kingsbeerhouse.com. We're very active on Instagram. If you're taking a look at any of our items or products or want to see what we're doing. If you're a restaurant and you're looking for loyalty rewards or a text messaging marketing solution, vipinsiders.com. We are doing a COVID-19 crisis special right now where we build it for free. We run it 90 days for free for you. And after 90 days, if you want to continue, you're welcome to. If you don't, then we built you an incredible product. And, and that's that. Awesome. Philip, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Eric. Have a great day. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.